Hey, Billy. Hey, John. Did you hear we got a sponsor for Coach Your Brains Out? Who's crazy enough to sponsor us? This really awesome website called VLoop. I remember hearing it on our podcast. Yeah. I talked about it then when they weren't a sponsor because I just thought it was awesome. It's a video website where you can upload videos from practice or tournaments, and you can share it with your athletes. You add your athletes to the team. They can all see the film. You can draw diagrams. You can make notes that timestamp the plays. It's the perfect website for club teams, college teams, for you and I. It's a game changer for anybody who's interested in getting better as a coach or athlete. Well, if you can use it, it must be pretty simple to use. It's very simple, and I don't know how to get on Facebook, but I can do VLoop. It's easy. It's useful. It's a game changer, like I said. All right. It looks like for $10 a month, I can get my entire team on VLoop, and there's a 30-day free trial. So check out VLoop at vloop.io slash join, and we'll have the link in our show notes. Thanks, VLoop. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. I'm Billy Allen. I'm Niels Nielsen. And I'm John Mayer. And today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Miss Courtney Thompson. She is a national champion at the University of Washington and a world champion for USA. And today we're going to be talking about uh, failure and how to respond to it. So, Courtney, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, being all these great things, national champion, world champion, with all this success in your career, I'm assuming you haven't failed much. It's all roses and, and rainbows? Right. Or? right, just like anyone that's had success. <laughs> that's how it is, right? No, yeah, no, I, I've actually, it's, I don't know, when, when I was younger, you know, I wasn't actually ever the most talented volleyball player on my team. Growing up, I just loved all sports. And I used to look at college players when I was in high school and think, you know, wow, like every young player, like, how do they do that? They make it look so easy. I'm sure they never felt this way or doubted themselves or had a bad game, whatever. And then you kind of get there and you're like, oh, crap, like we all still feel that. And then the same thing looking at like the Olympic level. Like I remember in college thinking, God, these guys probably roll up to the gym you know, thinking, oh, I'm, I've been to the Olympics, like, what more? I got this. I got this all figured out. And I don't know, what I've learned is that the the higher level you play out, the more you fail. And it's been fun for me to kind of, with the national team especially, it's like this weird experiment where you get all these talented people that maybe haven't had a lot of failure before and then get to, get to see how they react the first time they don't get picked or they, you know, they don't do very well or they have a tough season. And so, I don't know, I've been really thankful to, to see a lot of cool stuff. So how do you react to failure? I think what I've learned, I guess, or have tried to learn and am trying to do now is like, before it just felt a lot more emotional and black and white, like, oh, this is this means X, Y, and Z and all these assumptions about, you know, what the coaches think or what this means for your future. And I don't know, you know, we've learned a lot about the growth mindset. And what I do now is try to be a little bit um, emotionally detached and just find the lesson as quick as possible and then get on to the things that I know I can control and put all of my energy into those things instead of spending time on who's better than me, what I didn't do well, or, I mean, certainly we want to learn, but uh, I don't know. It's just, I think a lot of kids especially spend a lot of time on things that they really can't control and it just uh, does them a disservice to reaching their full potential, you know? You use the word emotionally detached. What, what do you mean by that? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, when when I think of failing, I think of like in a, in a big like you don't win the championship is one thing, and then another thing is just every day. Like if you're in practice, let's say I lose a drill or um, I keep messing up a ball that I'm working on. So when I'm emotional about every mistake and I'm hanging onto it, and it's it starts affecting the next and the next and the next, and then we make assumptions like oh this is just a crappy practice or oh I didn't sleep enough or I didn't all these assumptions. And when I'm learning at the highest level, what what I know now is that I just, you kind of observe it. Like it's a lot more mindful thing. You observe it, the failure, in quotes, um, and it's a lesson. So like, okay, how did that feel? What can I learn from it? And there's an excitement behind it because you know you can fix it, you know? So it's like, it's almost something in our gym, at the USA gym now, like we celebrate it. As far as like in a practice setting, if we're not going for it, if we're not pushing ourselves, we won't fail. But then we'd also be playing, you know, we just want to play fourth graders and kick their butt all the time, you know, and that's not very fun. So we want to push it, and which means that we won't be successful all the time. And so for us, it's like a positive thing. 
yeah, you just set the ball over the net and you're, you know, a world champion and an Olympian, but you're doing the thing that we're trying to do right now and it's uncomfortable. So you're in the right spot. You're touching on some pretty epic things. Can you go a little bit more in detail on kind of how your perspective on uh, failure changed over time? You said that you learned when you were on the national team, you learned that you fail more in that situation. So the emotional baggage with failure maybe changed. Did that change in the national team? What did that actually look like for you? Yeah, I think when you're trying to learn something and you're trying to become great at anything, you realize that it's really the long haul. And greatness is in the consistency and the approach day to day. And it's never like this moment, this like glorious moment where you're like, oh, I've arrived. It's coming to the gym every single day and having that approach that no matter what, I'm going to do my best to learn and I'm going to get better. And whether we, you know, we win the world championship or we get our butts kicked in the Grand Prix before that, we're going to hopefully have the same approach. And that's how I think you get to do really special things. And so for me, Okay, in a very, I, I was going to say, I feel like in the volleyball sense, I hit rock bottom. Now that sounds super dramatic, <laughs> but to me, it was like, I didn't make the roster or I had never traveled with the number one team or on and on and on. And so for me, I had to kind of reevaluate like, okay, what am I doing here? How can I learn from this? And when I failed at that level, the national team level, when I perceived to be kind of like, this is it, I wanted to run away. I wanted to quit. I wanted to blame the coaches. I wanted to do all these things. But at the end of the day, when I had some meaningful conversations with Hugh McCutcheon at the time and then my dad. It wasn't about anything outside of what I was doing, you know, and if uh, if you're kind of approaching it as I'm going to do my best every single day, no matter what, then you can handle those disappointments and keep moving. Karch talked about a quote today that said, success is moving from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. For me, I wasn't comfortable with being told you're not good enough. And so I really had to to just dive in in a humble way and like serve your team and try to get better one day at a time. What I know now that I didn't like maybe like five, six years ago is that it is a long, it's a marathon, not a sprint, especially with the national team. And I think that can apply to a lot of things that uh, actually anything that, that is difficult is that it's uh, even when it feels really far away, even when it feels out of reach, you know, big things can happen if you just have the right approach day to day. Courtney, I really like how you frame those little losses in practice every day and being consistent. I want to talk big picture. London Olympics, after you guys lost the gold medal match, can you take us through kind of your thought process, sitting in your dorm room, kind of reflecting back on the match? I'm glad you asked about that. That's actually one of my, in a weird way, my most inspiring moments, I guess. For our team in, in 2012, I think we were super talented and we did really well a lot of the time. We were ranked number one. We had won a bunch but we never responded very well when we were really tested. And so when we got pushed in the gold medal match, we kind of, we couldn't quite come together. And so losing sucks always, but I think when you really leave it out there and you know as a team you did everything to help each other and you, you know, you kind of go through that together, there's kind of a piece about it. Like, hey, we did this the right way, you know. The worst feeling after London was kind of that feeling like we left something out there. And so I remember sitting in the dorm room with Krista Harmato and Dietza now, Tom Amiyashiro, Megan Hodge. And we sat there and like, just looked at each other like, this can't, this can't be it. Like, we have to come back and try to do this and build on this, you know. Um, and there were a lot of great athletes that taught us a lot of things uh, ahead of us. But we just felt like as a team, we could do things at a much higher level as far as teamwork, I guess is just the best way to say it. So there was a lot of motivation to do it the right way, uh, the way that we wanted to, and, and that's been kind of a, a source of inspiration for us for a long time. I remember uh, something my brother taught me in high school. We I've never been a great loser, as many competitors aren't, but we lost in a state championship game or whatever. And I remember watching the other team celebrate, and I, you know, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I was kind of off by myself, and my brother came up to me, and I thought he would say, like, hey, it's okay, like, blah, blah, blah. And he just told me, like, look at him and don't forget how this feels. Like, use it. And so I kind of I kind of took that with me throughout my career. And the same thing in London. Like, I don't want to forget that, but we don't wake up every day like, oh, crap, you know. It's kind of, it's just, you know, putting our energy into something that can, that can help us help this program every single day and making that choice every day. That's awesome. So you mentioned that quote from Karch. That was a really cool quote. And I'm wondering how a coach can help someone 
respond to failure within a practice, maybe like a specific time where maybe cards or whoever helps you when you're making yeah. those mistakes, like <laughs> how can they, how can they help you view failure as a good thing? Like what are the keys to that? We do setter tutoring every morning. It's like three or four setters with Tom Black, our setting coach. And we pick two things we're working on, two fundamental things, or maybe it's a, a mindset we want to have. And so all of his feedback is about those two things. And so one day, Alicia Glass and I, this is like the first summer of the quad. We're in line and I can't remember who was setting, but she set the ball over the net. And so here we are, like the USA national team. And she sets this, you know, free ball kind of over the net. And Tom, Tom, right out of the mouth, like, that was great. Did you feel that? And Alicia and I looked at each other like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, did he see that? And he, you know, ran up to her. And I can't remember the exact skill that he was talking about, but it might have been, you know, she finished fast. Like, that was your fastest finish this morning. And because that's what we're working on, that's what he celebrates. And so it's it's really about being invested in the process and being intentional about what we're working on and then giving feedback on that. So if, if I get my butt kicked in a drill, but I was, you know, getting my right foot to the ball every time, like we have that conversation after, like, yeah, I don't care about the loss. Like you you got better because you were your right foot was to the ball way more than it was this morning. And so I think coaches have an incredible ability to remove some of the uh, the emotion of the athlete and just help them like retrain their brain to celebrate the process. I've also played in Europe a lot, and a lot of the old school coaches or whatever are just all about results and yelling at you. Thompson, come on! Like. Every time you miss a you know miss a free ball or something, and if you've read anything about motor learning or learning or playing well, like that usually doesn't help so much. So, I think coaches have a, a very big opportunity to influence. So then, for an athlete who maybe is in a situation where coaches aren't giving them the right feedback for failure, I guess how can they respond to that? I've had a lot of practice in that too, playing overseas. That's what I, that's, uh, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> I think it depends if if you're like a like you're playing overseas versus like a high school athlete. I think for me, like some some days, if I was low energy or like if I if I felt intentional about I'm going to work on this today and this is what I'm doing, I try not to pay too much attention to the coach. And usually, I can I can do a good job of that. Like this isn't helping me. I'm going to stay in my lane and like do what I do. But there are days or times when it just gets to you and maybe your one of your uh, goals that day is to just like respond positively every time your coach tells you you're an idiot or hits a ball at you or screams at you in front of everyone like if you can respond positively in your head like that's half the battle I had a a coach in I don't think he'll be listening to this he was from eastern Europe pretty old guy he was my coach in uh, Switzerland for two years and I I liked him like he was a cool guy but he he yelled at me more than any coach I've ever played for and just all the results and screaming the F word and that I was an idiot, like all these things. And the first year I played for him was really tough and I like let it affect me and all this stuff. And the next summer we talked a lot about mindset and, you know, us being in control of our mind. And we did a lot of work behind that, a lot of meditating and visualizing and just being intentional about what we, how we were going to carry ourselves in the practice so the next year after the world championships, I had a little more confidence in tough environments at that point. And I, I remember the first practice, he was nice to me. The second practice, he started going off and I just like looked at him and smiled and I was like, I'm ready for you. Like, I, it doesn't matter. Like you're not on my radar right now. So I think it's just one practicing and also just being intentional about it. Yeah. I like the idea of you frame it as a personal challenge. You know, if yeah. you're in a bad situation, how you can. Yeah. And I, I I think you can learn a lot from coaches you don't enjoy too, unfortunately. It's not always fun, but like those environments I've actually learned quite a bit in as well. Just take some filtering. Yeah. Some venting, some filtering. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go back into maybe your uh, high school days or even before club, high school, whatever it was. And I guess I'm curious about a coach that maybe had either in a positive or a negative way of just a big impact on your mindset toward mistakes and failure and growth? Oof, I've been really lucky to have a lot of great coaches in a lot of sports, but the first one that came to mind was Jim McLaughlin at UW. He was an incredible mentor and coach for me. And he was, he, I feel like he just taught me how to learn. Like, I think when I came to UW, I, I knew how to work hard physically 
I didn't know how to work smart or to think right or to to really learn like what it takes every single day to come in with, you know, it doesn't matter what your performance was the day before. There's this always an excitement and kind of a youthful enthusiasm around, ooh, like either that was awesome or that was crappy, uh, but we're going to get better today and we have an opportunity to get better. And Jim just loved being in that in that environment. Like he created that awesome culture where learning was fun and every day was fun. No matter if we were playing Stanford or North Dakota State in preseason, like it was this big opportunity to, to get better. So yeah, he's the first one that comes to mind. When you say you've had a lot of great coaches in sports across the board, what are some things that come to mind that make you say those coaches were great? I've gotten to be around, obviously I played for Hugh McCutcheon, who is a, a great guy. And uh, I don't know, the way he can take a team in the direction he wants to go. Like there's a few talks that he had or board talks or pregame stuff that I just sit back and I'm like, dude, this guy's good. <laughs> like he, he makes you believe, you know, and um, that's half the battle for any team is if they believe in themselves. I think obviously I've loved playing for Karch. He also is a, he loves to learn. He's a, maybe one of the most humble men I've ever been around and just a servant leader. And I've learned a lot from that. And he just loves the game. He loves the process. And so it's fun to be around for us. Like every single day is fun. You know, obviously he's done all these great things and you'd never know it by the way he like hangs out and talks to us and helps us and listens to us. And, um, and his love for the game, I think I've learned a lot from um, and how he just loves to compete. Also, Marv Dumphy. <laughs> I love that guy. You know, I've only gotten to go to a few tournaments, and I met him a few times at UW when they were doing um, gold medal squared clinics. But Marv just, I don't know what it is. There's just people that have this presence that you want to be awesome around them, like a better person, a better leader, a better volleyball player. And every time he comes to the gym, I just, you just get this big, like, smile on your face. And one of my favorite memories working with Marv uh, as a coach is that he always just makes you feel like it's okay and like you got this and I don't know why I even tried to figure it out but just this huge um, confidence boost when he's in the gym and we'd be in the middle of world championships at a timeout and he'd just stop you know Alicia and I the two setters would always talk to him and he he would just look around he's like 12,000 people and he goes isn't this awesome guys <laughs> yeah yeah but who should I set right now he's like yeah, let's take this in for a minute you know and enjoy it and uh I think he's got a really cool perspective on things. And then Tom Black, like I've worked very closely with him in the last few years. And as far as mindset and approaching day to day and learning and enjoying the ups and downs and just thinking right, I think he's helped me tremendously on and off the court in that arena. And I'm very thankful for all those guys. I could go on and on and on, but. Some uh, good coaches there. It's cool to hear <laughs> yeah. there. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good list of heavy hitting coaches. Sir, Mount, yeah, right. Rushmore. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> on the subject of failure, what do you feel has been your biggest failure and maybe what you've learned from that situation? Oh, I've had a lot of practice at it. <laughs> my, I don't know, my career's been interesting because like up to the 2012 Olympics, I never really traveled with the number one team. Two weeks at the Grand Prix, that was kind of about it. I did that and then I never traveled the next summer in this quad and then I made the world championship team and we did really well. And then the next year, I didn't make the World Cup roster. So it's kind of been like on it every other year thing for me. But my biggest failure was probably about the second year of the maybe third summer of last quad. So the summer before the Olympics, I wasn't traveling a lot. I was like on the, it felt like the 18th court of the practice court. You know, I think I was like fifth on the depth chart, never getting reps on the number one court. And it's different when you're in the national team because in college, like even if I wasn't the best, which I wasn't, I was the setter. So I always had this really close relationship with the coach. So for me, it was really uncomfortable to not have that. And you feel in a way you're on your own in that kind of battle to, to work up the depth chart. And I remember I was just kind of unhappy and going through the motions and, well, I mean, working hard, but it just didn't feel like me all the time. And I went into Hugh's office and I said, look, you know, I think I can do this, but I don't feel like you guys think I can. And I know that I bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm and I love the game, but I don't want to be a mascot, you know, <laughs> either. So if please, like, if I don't have a chance, like, just tell me. And I really, really, really believed at that point he'd be like, yeah, Court, it's been great, but we don't need you anymore. And he didn't. He said, well, he's like, 
you have a, a, a chance to go to London. And then he said, it's a, it's a small chance, but there's a chance. And if there's ever a point that you don't, I will call you that day. And like, I felt like the guy in Dumber and Dumber. I was like, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, kind of what I learned at that point was like, you have to prepare for the job you want, not the job you have. And so I was kind of just hanging around, like doing my best, but never, I don't know. It was like intimidating environment. And that, at that point I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to watch video on every team that our team will play. I'm going to pretend like I'll be the starting setter and prepare that way. So that for me, that meant every day after practice, I was getting reps, extra reps at the long ball, which I wasn't good at, at setting behind, which I was struggling at. I was doing block moves, which didn't make a difference in my vertical, but I thought it was helping me. So doing all these things and like maybe more even than getting better. I was also preparing my mind. Like I'm, I'm ready. Like I'll be ready. And I started to tell Hugh, like when I saw him, I was like, Hey, if I get a chance, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. And then, and then it kind of became a joke between us. I was like, you, you're not taking me to any tournaments, but I'm going to be ready. Um, I thought it was funny. And then it really like, I didn't travel much at all with the number one team until Grand Prix that right before the Olympics and only got to go two weeks. But we went in and they started trying the double sub, which we haven't used at all, and kind of found this niche in this role that I was having success at. And it was cool. When, when Hugh told me that he was going to take me to London, like I could look at him and be like, I'm ready. Like, let's go. And then I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Wait, no. Okay, I'm ready. So for me, the, the lesson there was like when I wanted to quit and run away and blame the coaches and like all that stuff, like there was still a lot of things under my control that I couldn't do. And... I stopped so much worrying about me as much as how can I influence the team around me, no matter if I travel or not. And so when I stopped worrying about my performance and kind of worried more about my impact and then also diving into the process, like that's when I started to really grow as a teammate, as a leader, I think, and as a, obviously as a setter. That's good stuff. So kind of following up on that, now that you're kind of a leader and more experienced and been a part of the culture and it sounds like, Karch has this culture of learning and growth mindset. When you have new people entering the gym who haven't been a part of that, how do you guys immerse them in that culture and get them okay with failure, And especially when they're you know, probably the best player from their college team and things like that? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty powerful. I think just communicating really well, like over-communicating. And a lot of it comes from, I think, the leaders in the group just taking someone to coffee or hanging out, going to lunch. I mean, like, look, this is how, this is how we do things. And if someone's struggling, Hey, can we talk? And like, just sharing, like, dude, we've all been there. Like, this is super intimidating. It's really tough. None of us are used to losing and we're kicking each other's ass every day in practice, but it's awesome. And this is what helps. Like, you just got to hang in there. You got to learn, go talk to your coach, figure out what you need to do and like get after it. And people will respect that, you know? And honestly, I think it's over communicating and just, and setting the example, you know, we talk a lot about caring enough to have tough conversations. And I think that is also a practice skill and it's not easy, but if someone's coming in and is acting in a way that we're not about, like we're going to tell them that. And it's kind of cool to feel that strongly about your team and your culture. Like we've worked really hard to like get to where we are, not just on the court, but like how we do things. And so we're not afraid to kind of protect that if we have to. Broadcast Mark asks, because you guys' national team gym is so competitive and so many talented players, what sort of fear of failure is there in that environment, knowing that there's so many athletes that can take anybody's spot? Yeah, well, it's always there. I mean, it's you're competing with friends, and we're all competing for something that's obviously so important to us. But there's also, a, with this group, and I think we've really worked hard, and Karch has set the tone, obviously it starts with him, that it's bigger than all of us. Like, And we all buy into that and believe that and know that like that it just has to be that way to accomplish what we want to accomplish and we're on a mission to do something that's never been done before you know and we were fortunate enough to get that done at world championships um we weren't at world cup but we hope to do that again and we did it with that mindset like there were people that weren't at the tournament that we wish were and the team that was there like we talked about that every day and that we're representing something that's way bigger than us and to me, that's like the coolest thing you can do as an athlete is like fight for something that's bigger than that. To be completely honest, like I've, you know, I've been cut like last year after the, I didn't make the World Cup team. I was bummed and hurt and pissed and all of the emotions that you have. But to look across the gym and see Kelly Murphy 
who was like the MVP of everything, you know, the year before, and she didn't make it either, you know? And so you're like, damn, this is just a humbling game, and it's really hard. But that's because we're trying to be the best in the world. Like, we're not trying to win a state championship, you know? So it's cool when everyone kind of buys into that. So if there's a situation where you didn't make the team, the team is like still won a gold medal, you'd consider that a win? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not saying I wouldn't wish I was there. Like, I mean, none of us would admit to that. But it's also, like, just a belief in our gym that, like, we all have an impact. And it's also holds you to a standard. Like, you can't not make a roster and then just, like, go to the beach for a month and say, screw this, like, I'm out. Like, we come to practice and you show up and you help the team maybe just for the first hour and then you don't get to play sixes, but you're there supporting but I think it's really powerful, and I don't think we'd be at the level we were if we didn't have that. What a cool culture you get to be a part of. Right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm very thankful. Yeah. yeah. Us on the beach, sometimes we feel lonely out there. But it's, yeah, it's, awesome. Sure. it's awesome that you guys um, are you know about something bigger than just your own well-being, and that's just really cool. Next week, Courtney's back to talk about setting. We dive into her process, her training, and what makes a great setter. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to Coach Your Brains Out. Please subscribe on iTunes and tell a friend. Wait, wait. Oh, sorry, sorry, I wasn't ready. They didn't, didn't teach me this in journalism school. So, John, you guys are doing awesome in Cincinnati. You must be using VLOOP. Yeah, Ryan and I have been using it every day, preparing for uh, our big matches and learning from watching VLOOP. And I'm assuming all of our listeners have also already gone and downloaded it. But if not, they should do it right away. It's a great alternative to something like Data Volley, which is a great program, but takes weeks of training and a lot of resources and time. VLOOP is a very easy way to upload video and get your players seeing themselves quickly. It's a great program that's going to help your players. It's awesome. And for $10 a month, you can get your entire team on VLOOP, and we have a 30-day free trial. So coaches, give VLOOP a try. We think you and your team will get a lot out of it. You can check it out at vloop.io slash join. So we wanted to switch gears and get into setting a little bit since we, we have you here. And um, yeah, I guess cool. starting out, just wanted to talk about, you mentioned motor learning. So just wondering like what your, your setting training looks like. You know, we've, we see all sorts of videos of setters setting against the wall. And, um, he wants to know if you catch what's on the wall. Yeah, so what, what does uh, your sort of I, training look like? Oh, man, I have never done that. Um, <laughs> we try to make it as specific as possible. So we don't even like set balls off a toss. We always have someone tossing over the net and usually Tom Black or whoever is coaching us that day will be passing and it's really random. And so even if I'm, I want to work on one specific set, say if my back's against the net in position two, like the ball to my left off the net, like at 10 feet, that's usually a tough ball for us setters. But even if that's like a focus, we won't just rep out like, okay, the ball's going there over and over. Like Tom keeps it random because you guys probably studied it. I know they have studied it much more than me, but um, the more random and the more variables they are, the better transfer there is to a game. And so we do tutoring a lot, which means we'll have uh, those nets that catch the ball just because we can't have hitters like eight hours a day and we, we're setters, so we like to get reps. And we'll set off a, a coach passing and focus on mechanics for – I don't know if there's three of us, like half an hour, maybe 45 minutes before practice. And then in practice, um, we kind of progress through a little competition warm-up, two-on-two something, and then we'll do a little more like hitter-setter tutoring. So the outsides will go with one setter. The right to opposites will go with one setter. The middles with one setter. And then we'll, we'll go through all that for a while, and then we'll do like a, a smaller controlled drill, probably focusing on like a few sets, and then we get into six-on-six. Um, and hopefully, like the same goals that we talk about when we're setter tutoring with Tom in the morning, like we're carrying throughout that. And then at some point when we compete, like we don't think about mechanics. We just compete and try to win and crush people and uh, do well. And then, you know, occasional check-ins on like, all right, what's our focus here? Um, and then in the afternoons, like I said, we're setters. So we just like to get a lot of reps. We do more tutoring. But I, at this point, never do any, like, setting against the wall or stuff like that. What mechanics are you working on right now, you personally? Right now, um, making sure my right foot is to the ball, whether I'm jump setting, pivoting, or uh, 
one of those two, um, so that I'm taking it in a nice, like, neutral high spot that I can set anywhere from. And then we, I got to play in Brazil this year, which was awesome, and we ran a pretty fast offense relative to what I played in Europe, but the speed overall isn't quite the same here. So, I mean, I've only been here three days now, but our focus is on um, finishing fast and, and finishing full. So making sure I'm I'm finishing high and fast uh, wherever I'm setting, whether I'm setting a gap or a go or a red behind me. So if you were if you were training a young setter, where would you start? Would you start with the feet, the hands, the eyes? Like, what are the big rocks? The first thing is probably footwork, you know, and making sure they're I don't know their right foots to the ball. At some point, we're going to teach them the pivot. We usually do the you know right left right footwork pattern, um, and then. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe without showing everybody. Uh, you know, in a high in a high position, like a neutral position, so that you're able to also push the ball far enough and have some power behind it. And I would teach quicker, actually, if I were to teach a high school kid, like to keep your palms open more when you're finishing. So I think some setters like kind of finish almost down, and and the ball like trails off a little bit. I think you can manipulate it a little bit to have it hang longer in the zone just by finishing in a certain position with kind of like your palm straight at the target. So I like that focus. That's kind of been a focus of mine the last few years. And it's, um, it's a fun one. I also haven't coached high school kids in a long time. So I'm always curious. Like people ask me like, Hey, will you come in and look at this setter? I'm like, dude, where do I start? Or like, what do I talk to them about? So it has been a while, but I think those are pretty good principles to start with. Listener and coach Kevin McCullough wanted to know if you pay attention to matchups and do you watch the opposing middles before you set? What is your eye work progression? Yeah, for sure. I, I like to be as prepared as possible. So I think it's important in every row to to know your strengths and what you want to do on a good ball. And also the next progression would be on a not so good ball. Like what are the best options? The next progression would be who's blocking? <laughs> what are their strengths? What do we want to exploit? What's their system? What's our system? Yeah, I think about that stuff all the time, but I take our strength for their strength any day. And so that's, I don't know, if I'm ever like, oh, what should I do? Like, let's do that. But I, I think all of that's important. And and then it's, I don't know, I think the men's setters probably look more at the opposing block than we do, or that I do. We don't train so much like, hey, what do they do on that play? I think on like perfect passes, as you gain experience, like you can kind of feel the middle. And if you know what they do, like Dominican's going to front really hard. So the setting against the flow is probably going to be open a lot. So you get to know like teams like that pretty well. And then you can kind of feel that during the match, depending on what you're running. But the most important thing is to locate the ball. So if, if we're compromising that because you're trying to figure out what they're doing, I don't think that's a positive thing. And you get a lot of information after the play as well. Jim taught me that. He, I don't think Jim was a big fan of like, yeah, you're going to see this middle when the ball's here and I'm going to look like he's like, you know, you set the ball, make the good play, and then we'll get some information and move on. And can you go into a little more about what information you would get? If I'm running like a gap and a go over it in a red, like is their right front helping? Is their middle fronting? Are they committing hard on that so I can go over it? And slash, are we having success on that play? If they're fronting it, we can go behind it and set a red if we have speed to beat them. Stuff like that. Um, in the If I'm front row, you know, is their right front helping on the bick? Or what is the middle doing with the slide? Because that's, you know, that's a fast play. So if you have Faluka or Krista or Tori in the middle, like teams usually have to do something about that. And if their left side blocker's kicking out, can we run our back row player into that seam a little bit instead of the pipe or bick um, to create a little more space for them. So stuff, stuff like that. I know that you're going to get a lot of this uh, strategy through video and watching and being prepared that way. But do you also have a conversation or an ongoing dialogue with the coaches on the bench with this type of strategy that you're talking about, or are you picking this up on your own? Um, no, always. We have a really open dialogue all the time during the match. So, I'm usually the double sub with the national team. So if it's Alicia or Molly who's starting, like we have a plan going in. This is what we think they'll do. This is what we want to do. These are probably the best ways to use our strengths and exploit their weaknesses. 
uh, sorry, tangent. If they have a weakness, uh, something Hugh McCutcheon taught me over and over, if it's working, like, don't stop. <laughs> like, if they have a weakness, just keep going at it relentlessly until that's not a bad thing. Anyway, that just reminded me. But during the match, our uh, every time out we're talking, I'm on the bench looking at the middles, telling Alicia what I see, like, hey, I think they're fronting a little more, or she's going here in the 4-2s. Like, I think we can use the big more than we thought we could, or, you know, keep the speed here because blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Tom will say what he thinks, and then they look at me, I'll say what I think, Alicia will say something, and then hopefully we're on the same page by the end of it. Can you go into kind of the mindset of a setter? I'm thinking of a scenario, say, um, libero shanks a pass, you're on the run, you throw in a go, and it's like a quarter inch tight, and your hitter gets stuffed. You know, is the response, oh, you got to hit that higher, or what are you saying to that hitter? That's a good question, because there's been a lot of successful setters that, like, get pissed at hitters or, like, demand, like, hit that ball. I don't know. I think there's a, a time and a place to be like, dude, let's go. But as I've I think I was more that way in college, and now I just want to fight for people, and I want my hitters to know that I'm fighting for them and, like, to keep working. If, if I get, like, them a one-on-one and they bomb it out of bounds 20 feet, like, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to be like, dude, I'm going to give you the next one. Like, let's go. Like, you got this. Keep swinging. Keep swinging. That's more of my style. I think every every setter, every personality is a little different, but I feel like uh, – Especially on the national team, that's kind of been my role and how people respond to me best. There are certain hitters, <laughs> uh, Nicole Fawcett, like we're homies, and she knows me really well, and she'll she'll get on me about stuff, and I'll look at her and things I can't say on this podcast, and be like, dude, like quit being a whatever, like hit this, you know, like come on. But it's all kind of, I think when you've developed that relationship, it's not like out of the blue, it works. So there, there are maybe three or four hitters who I talk to like that. But it's more of, it's kind of a fun thing and something we both know helps us. And then Doug English wants to know about the dialogue you have between the hitters, like in between plays. Do you guys give each other feedback on where the sets are? How do those conversations go? We talk a lot about uh, dialogue in between plays here with the hitters and like every play. It's a really quick, it's not emotional. <laughs> That's the biggest thing I think, especially with women, like, it's very solution-based, so it's not about blame or you did this or you didn't do this. It's how do we fix it for the next play, and that took us a long time to get to. There's always a quick check-in with the hitter, like, what do you think, too tight? And I'll say, yeah, I'll keep you off. Uh, make sure you're, you're starting slow to fast. It felt like you were a little quick or something, you know? If we're in a match, it'll just be like, I'll, I'll keep you fast or a little higher. I can hit line here or push me out. She's leaving this, stuff like that. I kind of want to jump on uh, a, a little thing that you touched on there, um, especially with a little bit of experience coaching some girls and stuff. And you you talked about some of the emotional things that can happen on a court where it's not always necessarily solution-based or toward the goal. Have there been any experiences, coaches, techniques, anything at all that you found that helped kind of cut through that emotional baggage that can happen sometimes to, to get everybody on the same page? Yes, I think talking about it, like calling it out. And it's a real thing that like you can train. We talk about how to respond. Like every mistake, every missed point is an opportunity to respond. And so we talk about body language, like when it's, when we're solution-based, what does that look like? When we're being not solution-based, what does that look like? We talk about exact things that need to be said for each person and like how they can, how, how they can use that moving forward. And how it, what destructive language looks like. And then choosing, all right, which one do we want to do today? And then I think as a coach, like, if you see, like, a negative, like, interaction in practice, just jump on it and be like, hey, what are we doing? Like, why are you rolling your eyes? Maybe not in, like, calling them out or taking them aside, whatever is, like, appropriate. But don't be shy. Like, get in there. Like, those are the tough conversations that, like, suck in the moment but really have a huge effect on developing the culture you want. And I think semi-related, um, can you talk about the importance of leadership as a setter? Like, does the setter have to be your leader? Or, and, and I guess, are you, do you feel like you're a leader? And what does that look like? Well, I think everyone leads and needs to lead. And certainly everyone does it in a different way. I think that's one thing I've learned. Like, leaders don't have to be vocal or the best player. Or um, to me, like that quote, like it comes back to impact. 
And what I've learned is that you can impact the team no matter what role you're in. So I, I do think I am a very vocal person on this team, and I, I'm not shy to share my opinion and call people out. And we have other people that do that too, but I think that's kind of where I've emerged, I think, in some ways as a leader. And just bringing, uh, for me, is bringing like an enthusiasm and a joy to competing. Like I feel like I'm always the underdog here. So it's easy for me to just be like, let's go. This is it. Like all we got. And I'm comfortable with that role. And it feels natural to me. And most of my mistakes, which I've had a lot as a leader, have been when I'm trying to do something that's like doesn't feel right to me. Usually your intuition or you're trying to to have a different persona or I don't know, like a quiet person trying to be. There's ways to like stretch yourself with with also staying within who you are. And I think that's important for athletes to remember and also for coaches to like. A leader can be shy, like, I'm not trying to get you to talk all the time. Like, be you, but own it. You know, own who you are and, and lead in your own way and be intentional about what you're doing. And if you'd rather have one-on-one conversations that are meaningful and impact your team and build people up and, you know, demand things, like, that can happen too. It's a great message. I have a question from a listener, Tom Black. I think you know him. He, oh, what's up, Tom? <laughs> he wants to know from Courtney advice you would – have given yourself before high school. He also said before college. Let's go one at a time. How about um, as a high school, Courtney, advice you would give yourself? Oh, man. Rest. It's okay to take a day off. (laughs) Okay. And then uh, college? That's a good question. College, um, I don't know. I want to say relax, but I also feel like that's part of, like, who I am and why I am where I am. But I I would say relax a little, calm down, and, and a little balance will probably help you in the end. And then um, for the uh, before the first quad? Dive into the process, fall in love with the process, do everything you can to keep your mind on the process, and, and know that you're in it for the long haul. And it's the experience, not the performance, that counts the most. I just am curious as to how would you define the process to somebody, maybe a high school athlete who hasn't had as much experience as you have? I mean, the whole goal in in this and everything is like being a better version of yourself. And that sounds probably cliche, but like really experiencing the the ups and downs of trying to get better every single day and knowing that like at some point you're going to plateau and that's part of becoming great. That's part of being a champion. Like if you're on the path, like those things happen. And the process is, yeah, I guess – like that quote Karch said today, like not losing your enthusiasm in those setbacks and just kind of like embracing it as, wow, like this is what athletes go through. Now I'm getting to do it. This is cool. And I'm going to respond to it in a positive way. I, I think I've done a decent job of this with maybe a lot of breakdowns in between, but just having like a relentless enthusiasm and being positive about that. You were talking earlier about that session with Tom Black where you overset the ball or I don't know if that was you or somebody else, but when that's happening in the context of a practice where you can really embrace the idea of, okay, we're just going to work on something and make a ton of mistakes and every time we do that, that's a great thing. And then you get into maybe a competition in the gym and you're still okay with those mistakes, but then they pick the teams, you go to the Grand Prix and you're still making those mistakes or the team is still making some of these mistakes from time to time. What does the conversation sound like on the coaches when you've been working on things and really embracing the mistakes, but then that again is now happening on a stage where it matters? We talk a lot about like at that point, the preparation's done. So we're just trying to like be us in that moment and let it rip and be aggressive. So like, I think Tom worded it like this and I liked it a lot in every match both teams are going to make mistakes and a big difference in success is going to be how you respond. It's like every day you're going to mess up plays every game. You're going to mess up plays. Um, and it's how we respond to those that usually make the difference. So we put a lot of effort, even in our timeouts, our coaching staff, other than gathering information, never talks about previous plays. Like we're always concerned about moving forward and what do we need to do to win the next play? Unless it's, Hey, you know, like a technical skill that might help you or something real quick. And then it's on to the, but it's never like, we keep missing serves. Like it's, yeah, that happens. So we're not going to talk about it. It's, Hey, let's get back there. Keep ripping. Like we have in practice, keep staying aggressive behind the service line. Let's put pressure on them. And that's kind of the language, like just a really optimistic forward thinking language that we use. 
Do you do um, any goal setting? And if you do, is it more result or process or what, what is it? Yeah, we were actually, we were just talking to my teammates about this the other day. I've always liked to have like results out there just because for me, they like fire me up. But what I know now is like, that's not what I put my energy into every day, let's say. But like, of course, I want to win a gold medal. And I look at that and like, yeah, that fires me up in the morning sometimes. But my goal really is to the day-to-day process of like, am I pushing myself to get better every day? Am I being a good teammate? Am I doing everything I can to do both of those things? And then, especially after the last Olympics, like heading into this summer, to just be in every moment and be present and be your best. And by best, I mean just be you in that moment. Like enjoy the experience of the nerves and and the doubt and the distractions and like just you know, believe in your team, believe in yourself and, and play and do what we we've, we've worked to do for so long. And really, if I can just enjoy every day and compete and have fun in that competition and do everything I can, like that day to day is so fun. And if I can keep my mind there, like that's it. So my goals are pretty day to day at this point. And same thing, I guess, for the for the team, for the national team. Is there like that clear vision? It's like we're all about that gold medal or is there a process goal as well? Yeah, we we definitely want that, um, but we know that if we focus on that and put our energy on it, like we're missing the work that needs to be done. So we we just talk about emptying the tank every single day, and we have big rocks and small rocks, you know, technical things that we have to do every day that we have to get better at. Um, and so when we come in the gym, like that's where we're putting our energy and our focus, and that's where our mindset is. And you know, every once in a while, if you do like a ten minute visualization of winning a gold medal like that's cool but like I said if that's the only place you're thinking about you're you're missing the point and you're not doing the work to get there Nils or Billy you guys have any others Nils I see you thinking they're all selfish (laughs) they're all selfish (laughs) (laughs) do you want to coach a JV girls volleyball team (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I don't know. You know I, I mean, need a little vacation after this summer. <laughs> Just let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll fire you up on coaching. But I guess listening to you talk and kind of going through your journey, it sounds like you have been, whether you're aware of it or not, open to coaches' suggestions or just like coachable. How would you go about instilling that value into younger players or expressing how important that is to your success that you've had. Because I think that's one of the things that, that I, I run into sometimes is, is sometimes players don't seem open to wanting to get better to the ways that we know that help. And so when I listen to you speak, it sounds like that attitude has directly influenced the amount of success that you've had. And I'm just wondering, is that learned? Is that something that you're aware of? Did somebody tell you that? How did you develop that? Where did that come from? Uh, thank you, first of all. I hope I hope that's a big, that's uh, how I am as an athlete. But I think, man, that must be frustrating. For me, like, it's something my parents taught me. Like, you need to get better. They know how to get better. Like, listen to them and be respectful, blah, blah, blah. Especially today with, like, I guess I'm putting the next generation in all together. But it seems like a, a tougher generation to coach in that aspect. I think I would try to really ask each athlete, like, what do you want from this? Like, what experience do you want out of this team? You know, and where do you want to go? And where are you now? And how can I help you close that gap? And how can we work together? And if that's communicated well, like, then you have a little bit of accountability or something to go back to. And as far as expectations and I guess creating that trust would be where I would start. But that sounds like it's a lot easier said than done. (laughs) Like I said, I haven't coached kids in a long time or high school age kids in a long time so god bless all of you out there coaching (laughs) yeah thanks maybe you could tweet them every once in a while to be coachable (laughs) you respond well to that if you in the future became a coach what type of attributes would you want to instill in your players other than of course coachability honesty i think i would want that for my players i also know as a player like even when it sucks to hear, I really appreciate when coaches just tell you how it is. I think just hard work. I think being a good teammate would be the biggest thing, like serving others and playing for something bigger than you. 
um, being respectful, being a good sport, you know, to the other team, respecting the other team, and just enthusiasm, like just passion and enthusiasm. And if you're going to do something, like enjoy it, get after it. If you don't want to be there, finish the season and then don't play again. But <laughs> I don't know. It should be fun. Like we play a game even at this level. So to have a sense of gratitude and enthusiasm every day you get to do this would be something I would really want to instill in, in my team. And you mentioned you can tell just Karch's love for the game. How, how can you tell? How does that manifest itself? <laughs> well, it's just cool to see him. Like He's like a little kid sometimes. We show up to the gym, and we'll be like week three of Grand Prix in the middle of Thailand on like a Thursday. And there's some days that like, you just, you're just like, man, this is gnarly. Like, <laughs> and he'll, I don't know, you just start playing this little drill and it gets competitive and you can just see the smile on everyone's face. And like, you start talking shit a little bit and he starts laughing and like, he, he just, it's just this really good energy in the gym. Like, this is what it's all about. And we get that all the time. And I think you can tell when people love to compete and you can tell every day, like on a Tuesday when no one's watching in the middle of the ASC. And things just get really fun and heated. And and because if he ever jumps in, he'll like pretend like he's not keeping track of the score. And then the second you almost beat him, he'll just dominate. Even with like one leg at this point, he's just like limping around like diming balls. <laughs> and so that is also another, another hint. He loves the game. It's pretty cool. The coach just sets the tone, you know. And you, you can just feel that from him all the time. The old man still got it, huh? Yeah, that is for sure. So what's um, what's coming up uh, next for you guys as a team? Any matches in, in the U.S. that we can come cheer you guys on? We have some red-blue scrimmages. We're here for the Grand Prix sometime in June. I'm a great salesperson. People can go on the Internet. We'll put it in the show notes, too. But Okay, that'd be helpful. But I do <laughs> hope you guys are here. We play, we're, I know we play in Long Beach. That's really cool. We had We got to play the Grand Prix Finals and also the Qualifier in Nebraska this year. And that was, like, insane. It was so fun to feel that fan base. And playing the qualifier in January in Nebraska was the first time it, like, felt like we had a huge competitive advantage to be in the U.S. And it was really special for us. So we hope we can share that with some people in June. So after Rio, we're going to see you come out to the beach and have a long beach career. Is that next? (laughs) Yeah. Only if I could hit, jump, and... (laughs) Pass those things. I got to learn those things. But I, you know, I, I doubt it, but I'll, I will come cheer you guys on. Yeah. Cool. Some iced tea. <laughs> and then we have confirmation that the World Grand Prix at Long Beach is June 17th through 19th. Our buddy of the show, Matt Garthoff, is putting on the volley barbecue on Saturday the 18th, right before the match against Japan. Thank you. Be there. Perfect. I won't forget that. I hope I'm there. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to be there. We look forward to following you and watching you guys win a gold medal in Rio. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. This yeah, fun. thanks so much for spending the time. I know I mean this in the in the nicest way. I know you're, you've never been the biggest or jumped the highest or been the fastest, yeah. but listening to you for the last hour, like it's it's clear why you've done what you've done. So we're ex- excited to see you uh, continue to grow and looking forward to watching the team compete in the future. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, guys. I think that's her fire alarm.